We're in chapter three. Chucking along. Do we, do we have enough copies in Tanya's? No? I hope so. Okay. So where we're holding is like this. Our godly souls, regardless of their level of development, have how many faculties? Ten. ten. These correspond to the ten spheros. Spheros are the ways that God manifests himself. And why do our godly souls have ten faculties paralleling the ten spheros? Because... They descended from them. They descended from them. And what does that mean, a descending from them? Reconstructing. Reconstructing. So the way, the, how do you make the same thing using a different medium in a different context, right? So an example of reconstruction would be? Portrait. A portrait is reconstruction of a face. Give me another kind of example of reconstruction. An artificial hand, right? Where you're taking the same thing and trying to reconstruct it in a different thing. As opposed to something which just represents the thing. Would be an example of something that represents a face. Emoji. An emoji. What's an example of something that represents an arm? A doll, a doll hand. Right. It's not meant to function anyway, like an actual hand. Okay. All right. And so, if we want to understand our own godly faculties, we need to understand the, the structure of the spheres. And the thing that we ended last time is that even though there are ten spheres, those ten spheres are subdivided into how many categories? Two. Two. And so we need to know what makes those categories different and how do they relate as part of a whole. And then that'll be the model for understanding our own faculties. Okay. Ready? We're going to get through a lot of words today. More than four words. Okay. And I might have including the fact we're backtracking to the words which. Which are subdivided into two, namely, the three mothers... And the seven multiples. So what are the two categories? Mothers and multiples. The three mothers and the seven multiples, right? So the categories are mothers and multiples. There are three of the spheres are the mothers and are in the mothers category and how many seven. in the multiples category? Very good. To wit. Does anyone know what to wit means? We have namely. Right. Well, you have namely? Yeah. That's the newer translation, right? Uh, so I only know what to wit is because I looked in the Hebrew and know what the Hebrew means. Does it mean namely? Um, yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> okay. Chachma, Bina, and Das. You notice they didn't translate those? Why did I not translate those? Even though the translator translated them. I don't know what they mean. What? Because the translations, the reconstruction of it, like on human love. Right, right. So these are Hebrew words. Now, I can translate the meaning of the word, right? But um, let me give you an an, an example. Um, There was a rabbi named Rabbi Emanuel Shochet. Has anyone heard of Rabbi Emanuel Shochet? So Rabbi Emanuel Shochet was a very very interesting person. And one of the things he did is a lot of anti-missionary work. Against, mission, against Christian missionaries, oh, right. and he would debate the missionaries, and um, he decided at one point that why should you defend Judaism against Christianity? Why don't you just attack Christianity? It's a much more effective debating strategy. And then they didn't want to debate him anymore for some reason. Um, so there are recordings of his debates where instead of defending Judaism, he's just attacking the missionary, and then the missionary is trying to defend himself, and it's quite humorous. I mean, if you're a Jew, I guess if you're a Christian, you wouldn't find it humorous, but okay. Um, and so one point... Um, Rabbi Emanuel Shochat. So, at one point, he, uh, he, he 
So there's a, there's a prophecy in the book of Yeshaya, of Isaiah, that there will be a young woman and she'll give birth to a son, and his name will be Emmanuel. Um, and um, then that's a sign of the redemption. Now, it's actually not referring to the Messianic redemption, and Christians like this, this particular section a lot. And um, so in his, he attacks the, 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 the Christian and says, well, you know, the, the guy that you say is the redeemer, he's never at once called Emmanuel. And they say, well, you have to understand, the name Emmanuel is just Hebrew for God is with us. To which he replies, all Hebrew names are words that mean something, right? <laughs> like literally every single Hebrew name has a translation, right? So it's like there's the actual name of the person who might be named, I don't know, Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Yisrael, Yehuda, Emmanuel. And then all those are actual words with meanings, right? It's like... And he says, now, while we're on the topic, by the way, of people who are named Emmanuel, whose mothers were quite young when they were conceived, I, I would like to announce my candidacy as the Redeemer of all Israel. Because <laughs> his name was? Amen. Emmanuel. <laughs> so we have to differentiate between a word that's just naming a thing and the actual meaning of the word. Okay? Right? If someone's name is Emmanuel, it's true that the word Emmanuel is a contraction of two words. Imanukel, with God is with us. Very nice. But the name the, the name Avram means exalted father. The name Avraham means the father of multitudes. The name Sarah means princess or, or or female ruler. I mean, all these names have meanings, right? So there's a word Chachma. The meaning of that word is wisdom. Like you want to translate the word, but when you're using it as a proper name, translating the word doesn't help you very much, does it? Okay. So there is a sphere named Chachma. Okay. Is, is that mean that this sphere is wisdom? No. Okay. So we are not... Now, there could be other reasons why you don't translate a word, but one reason you don't translate a word really is because the word is a proper, a proper name, and therefore even if the word has a meaning, knowing the meaning doesn't tell you anything. So um, I'm going to give you one other example. Okay. We're going to see later on there's a sphere called Teferis. The meaning of Teferis is beauty. There's a sphere called beauty. Now, does anyone know, since we were doing this whole faculty thing, the faculties correspond to the spheres, does anyone know what faculty of the human being corresponds to Teferis? That's a human faculty, a faculty, you have a faculty of harmony. Like part of your psyche is the, what? Goodness? Like the inner beauty. The inner beauty of a person? No, heart's not. A, I'm talking like psychological faculties. I'll give you a list. I was going to give you a list. It's multiple choice. You pick, okay? Okay. Mercy, integrity, empathy, truth, joy, um, wonder. Which of those is Tferis? All of the above. I know, I cheated. Now, no, that's not the game. That would be that would be false advertising. The game is much more fun. I promise that we'll have a game at some point. 
So there is a sphere called there is a sphere there is a sphere known that has the name Tferis and Tferis is beauty. There's probably a reason why it has the name beauty, right? Well, what's the connection between the name and the thing? But at the end of the day, the, knowing the name of a thing is not mean that you know what the thing actually is when it's a proper name. Okay. So when we talk about spheres, I really think it's important to treat them the same way you treat words like London and Jacob. Right, where you okay, those are words that refer to some actual entity in existence rather than a concept. Okay, fine. But what we do know is that three of these spheres, they are the mothers, and the names of those spheres are Chachma, Bina, and Das. So, just to be nice, we'll use our Kabbalah chart, <laughs> even though we already know I don't like it. So, where are the three mothers? At the top. At the top. Not that weird Ketter thing at the top. No one knows what that's for. Okay. And then there are the seven multiples. And what are the seven multiples? They're also known as the seven days of creation. Literally, the translation is seven days of building. Okay. Shevesimea binyan. And they are chesed, gevura, tferes, and so on. So he doesn't even give you the full list. Okay. So what do we know about those two categories? We know they're separate. What separates them? Turn on our thinking caps. Some are mothers. Some are mothers. Let's start thinking. Some are mothers and some are not mothers. Not mothers. That's already good. Some are multiples and some are not mothers. And those that are mothers are not. And those that are multiples are not. Mothers. Okay. That's actually quite an you know, important observation. Okay. So the role of mothers and multiples is complementary, right? Now that's an interesting, like, now that's interesting why, why, I mean, there's many ways to like group things together. We're grouping them based on certain characteristics. These three function as mothers, these seven function as multiples, and those functions are distinct but complementary, okay? What else do we know about these two groups? There are less mothers than multiples. Well, together they make one. But the, we know that the seven, day, the seven multiples are also known as the seven days of building. So apparently, multiples and building go together, but being a mother and building nope. doesn't go together. So wouldn't it be nice to know what being a mother is and multiple is and building is? And if we knew that, we might have some sense of what we're talking about here, yeah? Mm. Okay. So, I'll throw this out to you. Why group a bunch of things together and saying these are the mothers? What is, what is, what is, what, why, would, why would a grouping... Why would the group be called the mothers? Why would that make any sense? The other Very good. <laughs> right? The mothers, right? The mothers are producing the other seven. Right? That, that would make a lot of sense. Okay. Um, now... Okay. Other than giving birth to children, what is also a unique role to mothers? Okay, nurture. And then someone's going to object. Fathers can nurture also, right? If we get very technical here, nursing, right? The, the most basic, fundamental, physical nurturing is also mother. So both the giving birth and physical nurturing is the mother. So then what is the, what are the, what are the first... What is the first group doing to the second group? Nursing. Giving them life. It, 
it's right. It's 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 first. It's giving rise to them, giving birth to them in some sense, and then it is sustaining them and nourishing them. Well, that's already quite informative, right? I have one set of faculties that give rise to another set of faculties and then nourish those faculties. And God apparently has some spheres that give rise to and nourish a second set of spheres. Okay? Now, what do I know about the second set of spheres? So the mothers give rise to the multiples. Like mm-hmm. the and they also nourish. Because what does a mother do? She gives birth to and nourishes their offspring. That's what makes a mother a mother. Okay? What do we know about the multiples? Well, we know they're multiples. They build. And they build. So what does that mean about the mothers? What are they not? Doors. And they're also not? Mm. Well, when we talk about creation, we think of heaven and as, as physical, like, I guess we're not talking about physical physicality, but we talk about, like, when we talk about essence and essence of existence, we think about females and Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is why it's always important to, to be comfortable with, with things as descriptions. If we're talking about the spheros, which spheros are giving rise to other spheros? The first three are giving rise to the latter seven. So who is the creating spheros in that sense? Who are the feminine spheros in that sense? Mothers. Right? Now I can take a totally different framework and say those seven spheres are involved in some other kind of building project which the first three are not involved in. Right? Which is, by the way, why there is no absolute about when you start talking about spiritual things in male and female. You always have to pick a point of reference and a context and then assign male and female. For instance, it happens to be in this class, I am the male and you are the females. Why? Because you're the teacher? That's right. Which means, in the context of the class, as using the terminology that they're going to be in Chassidus, whoever's teaching the class is going to be the male, and whoever is, in the, whoever is learning, the students are going to be female, right? Which has nothing to do with your actual gendered, physical, or halachic terms, right? Okay. So similarly, we want to be careful about not like stamping male, female, and then being done with it. We want to think, okay, male and female, when we're talking spiritually, has to, we have to pick a perspective, a context, and then figure out male and female mean what in that perspective, right? Me adding that word class makes a very big difference. Is it always the male dominant form? There's no dominance. In holiness, there's no such thing as dominance. If you have dominance of one thing over another, that's a sign that you're dealing with unholiness. Always, always, always. Um, Fine. Okay. So now, what does it mean that there are doubles? So I'll give you a quick lesson in the Hebrew language, okay? Do you have a marker? marker? What? I know, it says multiples. Really, really it's doubles. I don't know why they translate those multiples. The Hebrew actually implies doubles more than multiples. You mean the seven doubles? There's the seven doubles, or doublets if you want to sound fancy. Okay. So, I'm going to put the Hebrew alphabet on the board, okay? Does anyone not know script letters? It's no, no, it's not good. That's not helpful for me. Does anyone, anyone not know script? Raise your hand. Once, twice, you can write the script.
here, right? Yeah. yeah. There's a book called The Safe Food Serum. Has anyone heard of Safe Food Serum? Book of Creation. It is a book. It is the oldest work of Kabbalah that's written by Abraham, edited by Rabbi Akiva. It's very cryptic. Really cryptic. Anyone here reading Mishnah? Yeah. Okay. Imagine Mishnah, but instead of talking about like how you practice Jewish law, it talks about Kabbalah, but it's as cryptic. <laughs> very very cryptic. How did it get lost out? Like, was it physically passed down? It wasn't. No, originally it wasn't written. It was originally oral. It wasn't oral. It was originally oral, and at some point, it was written down. Probably Rabbi Akiva was the first one who like, made an official written copy. It seems to be the case, but it's not written. So there it says that God engraved 22 letters. Three mothers, seven doublets, and 12 extensions. I'm translating. Three mothers... Seven doubles and twelve extensions. We're not going to talk about these letters because they're extensions, and an extension is not the main thing, right? Okay, so we're going to ignore that. We don't care about this. Voila, well, we're done. Okay, yeah. I know. That was that was done for dramatic effect. Figure it out with us. Okay. Why are these these seven doubles? Why are they doubles? Prime. What's this letter? Bet or is it bet? It's both. These all these all have right. These all have a dugesh where the dugesh makes a difference. Now, to be fair, not every dialect of Hebrew actually cares about all the dugeshes. So I actually had a friend whose family is from Morocco, um, and um, his family name. There is like a, if you know phonetics, as well. Okay, this was my friend's family name. How do you spell that? I have to pronounce that. Ibki. Okay, but in the area of Morocco where his family was pronounced Ibre. Because they, that particular dialect of Hebrew did not distinguish between bases and bases. So this was a, always a bow, regardless of whether it had the dot in it or not. The, this vowel was pronounced eh for some reason. And the gimel without a dug is pronounced as a as a more guttural sound. So instead of ib e, it was ed re. Okay. So to be fair, just because something has a dot in it or not have a dot in it, and it therefore it doesn't mean that the Hebrew dialect of Hebrew makes a difference. But the way that Sapiens says it is all these letters have more than one way to pronounce them, at least in theory, and that if they have a dot in them. I'm going to do those because in modern Hebrew, those are the ones that we're familiar with. In most dialects of Hebrew, happens. So if you put a dot here, it's b. Without a dot, it's Now you'll notice that a v sound you can drag out. Try dragging out a v sound. You just didn't finish saying it. You finish saying b. So the b is hard. Called soft. Without a dot, it's without a dot. With a dot, say the same thing. Without the dot, you can drag the sound out. 
Okay. Without a dot? With a dot? Okay. And you'll notice it's, little, it's using the same part of your mouth, you're switching it from something you drag out to making a hard stop. And for those of you who are Ashkenazim, or pronounce Hebrew like Ashkenazim, without a dot, with a dot. See, see a pattern? Okay. In Talmudic times, this was pronounced without a dot as a hard TH. Like in the. But if you stop that sound, it's a th. So for instance, in Talmudic times, when they said Shema, they said Hashem, Because <laughs> <laughs> so you can literally drag out the Dalit. So why don't we do that Because the Shalach that says you don't have to worry about pronouncing Hebrew in any particular way, you just have to be consistent. If that is a known dialect, you just stick with that. That's how the Shalach works. We don't really care. In fact, we even know that in the, in the, in the times of the tribes, that not all of the tribes have the same dialects. There isn't a right dialogue. Okay, so that one we know. There is a lot of debate what's with the Gimel. So there are, there are some people who say it's. Yeah, there's some people that say it's, it's more of a. It's a guttle gun, and guttle R sounds. And there's a lot of debate as to what the double ratio is. Already from a thousand years ago, we don't know what the double ratio is. So one of the. One of the Already commented from a thousand years ago, commented We already don't have two versions of French. Which is why we do like learn it from a little one teacher. Since no no guy like the Hebrew actually the school does like to drop out the race. But apparently way, way, way back in ancient times. Okay. So these are called doubles because they all have a soft and hard sound. At least in theory. Okay. Now, you notice that the soft sound drag and the hard sound, what does it do? Stops. So that's the, there's continuing and stopping. That's what these things. The doubling, the multiples, is that there's a way they continue and there's a way that they stop. Yeah. What about the shin and sin situation? I don't know. Now, why are these three letters called the three mothers? Wait, what about I, Some dialects of Hebrew make a difference between Gimel with a dollar, dollar, dollar. Like certain Yemenites have zh and g. So with it, with it, most dialects of Hebrew don't make a difference, but there are some that do. And no known dialects do it. But there was a time when all of these had that same pattern. So when you're talking about the Kabbalistic symbolism there, whether these are what these letters have that makes them distinct, or makes them have this double, is that they have a way of just extending or stopping. Okay. That's the way the grammarians will do it is they make them into words. Oh. Yeah. You remember, so it's called Begit. Depending on whether Begit Tepet or Begit Tepet. Um, and then why these three are, why those three symbolize the three mothers, I do know, and I'm not going to explain because if I do that, we're going to have questions and follow up and see like the rest of us and we'll talk about it. And it's not really relevant. But it is relevant that these are doubles and understand why they're doubles. Because the doubling means that there's a way that they can be drawn out softly and there's a way they can be stopping things in a hard manner. Now, let's do this. Okay. Yeah. Is it, aren't they doubles because they can be pronounced two different ways or can they be pronounced two different ways because they are inherently doubles? 
the second. The fact that they have two pronunciations is because the spiritual source of them is from this idea of doubling, so they can pronounce it. Okay, so that's just how we know what they are. That's right. So it's not that that's, that's, right. that's right, which is why the ratio is still a double even though we know what they're doing. We don't actually have to do this pronunciation. Got lost. Yeah. There is no one right dialect, or we just right. don't know it? There is no one right dialect. How could that be if there once was? Who says there once was? Was there not? I mean, you can study linguistics, but it's quite interesting about how even when you say everyone speaks the same language, you start making connection, almost every speaker has a slight variation, and then those variations group together, and so families have their own internal little dialects, and then extended families and tribes. So why would you expect that any large group of you all says the same thing? the words are different than they really are. Okay. Anyone here study architecture? No one? It's not fun that way. Okay, fine. We're going to design a house. I wanted to be an architect when I was a little. You're going to design a house. So tell me where we should start. Door. The foundation. What we're going to design a house. Body. Like the side. whole outline. That one has to be designed. How big is it? We need to acquire some land. We're making a floor plan. <laughs> is this a bird's eye view? Yes. How, what, what shape are we going to make it? Let's put those foundations. Oh, that's good, right? What shape? Out. Should we start with the shape? Yes. Wait, how big? Do we have how big? We have a whole board. We have a whole board? Okay. You need to pour a foundation. Let's just do one big rectangle. No, we're, okay. not, we're not pouring anything. We're just We should make a key so we know you how long things really are. Exactly. Oh, I do. Yeah. Okay. okay. Lala, we're done. We have a foundation. Well, too bad. That's a bad. You said big rectangle. I made a big rectangle. By the way, there's no going back here. So is this our plot? I don't know if it's a rectangle. This is the shape of our house. Oh, this is boring. Who shows that? She said big rectangle. No, but it's okay. We're wasting time. Can we? Can we? What? Bedroom in the shape of a circle. No. No. Wait, wait, wait. Can we figure out where we have sewer lines? Do we know where we have sewer lines? Front door to the left. I just want to trust. Okay. Do we know where there are sewer lines so that our bathroom can actually have water in it? We'll, we'll, we'll worry they about should go through the bathroom. Are you going to make a scale? No, but we don't have to make a foundation. You don't need a foundation. No, but you don't have to make a foundation. Just imagine squigglies. Guys, guys, guys. Why is this funny? What makes it unsensible? <laughs> you can be difficult to build. It would be difficult to live. Because it's because never going to be That's reality. not how you do things, right? This is not how you do Wait, things. There... The way you do things is like this. The way you do things is like this, okay? You first start out, and I was not fair because I misled. The first thing is you start and say, okay, well, what kind of house do we do? Like, the first question you want to ask is, okay, we're talking about a two bedroom house, a three bedroom house. Like, that's the first thing we need to know. So let's say we're doing a two-bedroom house, okay. Okay. So now we have, so now we've got to think, okay, so let's say we have two bedrooms. Now we have to, okay, well, a bedroom, you know, we have a big bedroom, a small bedroom. Are you going to do two stories or one story? We're not actually going to do a whole thing. Okay. okay. So let's make a two-bedroom house, right? So I think, okay, well, does it make sense for the bedrooms to be next near each other or to have one on one side and one on the other side? 
near each other. Okay, so we're going to be very unimaginative architects. So I have a bedroom. Is a rectangle a reasonable shape for a bedroom? Yes. yes. And it makes sense that like, maybe one bedroom might be a little bit bigger than the other bedroom? Right. Okay. Makes sense maybe to have a bathroom adjacent to like the bigger bedroom? Yes. Okay. Um, fine. Okay. So I got a little doorway here. Doorway here. Is there a closet? Doorway here. We can do that because I want to go faster than that. Okay. So big bedroom, smaller bedroom, bathroom. Maybe another bathroom. Another like, bathroom for the main. Like a main bathroom, okay. That main bathroom probably is going to be a little bit bigger. Maybe not, but it's a little bit bigger. Okay, well, that's nice. Now what? Maybe a kitchen hallway. Mm -hmm. So we've got a nice little hallway area here, right? So then we kind of maybe like a, some kind of a living room, dining room, kitchen area. And a mud room. Okay, and then we want to divide. Maybe. I think I have the entrance to the bathroom more from the living space. More from the living space. Maybe two entrances. So people don't have to go into your private area. That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> do you see what we're doing now? Like, do you see the difference between what we did before and did after? We're just like, let's let's make this a shape and it's just a shape. We're gonna think, wait a minute. There's something we want to be in reality and we need to give it some sort of a, a, a concrete presence. Where does it stand in relationship to something else? Mm -hmm. Right? When you are building, what are you really doing? You're just slapping stuff together? Or you're saying, okay. No. You're, right, you're, and so what you're doing is you're thinking, how much should this extend and where should it stop? What should be adjacent to it, right? So this bedroom extends out. <laughs> In other words, there's something, it has its presence, and then there's the point of where it stops, and now we can have something else. And then these things can be adjacent to each other. This idea of doubles is that when you want to actually build something in reality, you need to know how much is inside, where are its parameters, where do then you get the next thing. Okay? So when you actually want a real life building, you can't just start slapping shapes. You can't just I want to think, okay, there's a bedroom. How far should the bedroom extend? Where does the bedroom stop and what's only going to be on the other side of that wall? And if you can successfully do that and actually capture the uses of all the rooms, you can make money as an architect. If you can do it in a creative way, you can make a lot of money as an architect. But if you can't do that, it doesn't work. Okay? You see what I'm saying? You don't just like randomly throw shapes. You take a notion and say, in reality, how much space does it need and where are the walls that go around it? And now let's move to some other area in life. Okay? If you're gonna have a relationship with somebody, anybody, any kind of relationship, what does a relationship need? Communication. Boundaries. boundaries. How many parts are there to boundaries? How many does you need them to do? There's two parts to boundaries. Every boundary has two parts. Inside and outside? The extension of the thing you're bounding and then where it actually stops. How much, right? So for instance, there's a boundary. Like, it's, you know, it's inappropriate for me to ask you certain questions. Okay, but then that means that there's pro questions which are appropriate, right? So appropriate, appropriate, appropriate. Uh, stop. Beyond that point, inappropriate. So a boundary is not just a line. It's that something extends, like those letters, those soft letters that extend up to 
a line. And then that line says, stop, now something else. Now something different. Yeah. What about gray space, the space inside the boundary or like the demilitarized zone of like where there might be a question that some people would answer, some others wouldn't. Well, what creates conflict in relationships? Being unclear. That's right, when those, gray, when those boundaries aren't clear. But is it... That, that's all conflict in all relationships boils down to that one issue. When I think the boundary is here and you think the boundary is there, that happens in two ways. I'll just use a map to illustrate this. Okay. What actual research? <laughs> um, if there was a way to like, keep it here that we should over people, that might be a good idea. Okay. This is a really bad map of Africa. No, that's actually too bad of a map. <laughs> Let's ignore that. We don't need all of Africa. We don't have Africans. Okay, this is a map of northeastern Africa. And it's a really bad map. Okay, there's Israel. Sinai. This is Sinai Peninsula. Israel's up here. This country is called Egypt. Egypt. So there's a line right around here, let's say. Now, the border of Egypt goes how? Anyone know? Well, it depends who you ask. If you ask Egypt, it goes like this. That's the border of Egypt. Line down, line across, good to go. What's the country under Egypt? South Sudan. South Sudan is under Egypt? You're right, Sudan. That wouldn't make any sense. You know what? <laughs> Maybe they're creative, I don't know. Right? So now, so the country over here, which I think is northern Sudan, but I could be wrong. It's just Sudan. It's just Sudan. It's Sudan and South Sudan. So that country's border goes like, if I remember it correctly, I feel it's wrong, but it goes like this. Cute. Which means like, I could have had it reversed. Yeah, but I just care about the northern border. So which means like this. If you ask the Sudanese, this is? Sudan. And this is? Egypt. If you ask Egypt, this is Egypt. And this is? Sudan. Which means, which means? That's no man's land. Egypt says it's not mine, and Sudan says? Not mine. So if there's a problem here, the Egyptians say, Sudanese, why aren't you taking care of it? And the Sudanese say, tell the Egyptians, why aren't you taking care of it? But if something's going on over here, the Egyptians like, that's mine. And the Sudanese say? That's mine. Now, if we turn this into any kind of relationship, any relationship, let's just right now take a, a, take a workplace environment, right? So you think your responsibilities end here, this line, and your person at the desk next over thinks that your responsibilities end here, here at that line, right? So when this issue comes up, sorry, when this issue's come up, person on the next desk leaves you alone, you take care of it. When this issue comes up, they take care of it, everyone's happy, right? This issue comes up, you both try and take care of it together, and what happens? Disaster. disaster. This issue comes up. It doesn't get taken care of. Also, different disaster, right? <laughs> Marriage. Why didn't you take out the trash? Why didn't you take out the trash? Because each person thought it was on the other side of their boundaries of their responsibilities. that it's healthy to have space within the boundary where like we decide at different times like what whether this works or doesn't like I like do you have to be so absolute about everything you have to be clear you can be sophisticated and dynamic Okay. You could have boundaries that change as long as we both know how they're changing you can have boundaries that are more flexible so you could have right you can have different right those it's not like, like a house, it's not all just a bedroom, right? The issue is, whatever the thing is, if both people are clear, this is what it is, this is how far it extends, and these are its boundaries, then the relationship's going to work. 
Some things are pretty absolute. Some things, the boundaries are dynamic. Mm-hmm. For instance, um, asking personal questions. It's not that asking personal questions either is or isn't bounds of a relationship, but those relationships can change. So for instance, um, in the middle of a high-stress situation, asking a personal question is probably outside the bounds of appropriate. Even though in a relaxed situation, that same relationship is within the bounds. So you have a dynamic boundary. That's fine. But you still need both sides to be clear how far it extends and where's the cutoff. Okay. Every, in other words, what makes a reality a navigable reality, whether it's an emotional reality, a house, the physical world for that matter, is that things have how they are actually extend and where are their parameters, where are their borders, where do they end, and now something else can be adjacent. And when that's not clear, we get messy and things don't work well. Okay? So I'm going to give you an example. Okay? Is it okay to hate people? What's wrong with that question? Not specific. It's not specific, right? Like, you mean hate their behavior? Hate personality types? Do you mean hate the fact that they exist? Like, like, like people are, have a lot of aspects of them. How far do you want the hate to extend into their being? I hate the word people. I hate the word people. It's already another thing, right? Yeah. Or you have like a fundamental problem with any hate existing at all. Maybe that's your problem. It's not people that you private injection, just that the, the extension of hate. I was like, somebody's like, I don't want my house to have a bathroom. Like, I don't care what the size is, just no bathrooms. I, I, don't, I just don't want hate at all. No, or, or the issue is the hate has gone too far. So building a reality, whether you're talking about God creating the physical world, whether you're talking about creating a relationship with something, anytime you are going to interact with reality beyond yourself, there has to be Boundaries, And those boundaries actually have two sides to them. The extension of the thing being bounded and then the actual placement of the boundary. Yeah. So the boundary is a separate thing. Is it like an okay thing to think of it like kind of like an asymptote? Like this, the things that are actually on the other side are actually, they're not, they're t- they are separate, but they can get very close. Well, yeah, you can, you can then, you could, depending on the kind of issue it is. You, know, you could then think of different kinds of boundaries. In fact, here we say that there's how many of these kinds of faculties that work this way? Seven. Seven, right? So, for instance, okay, um, using, using, using just a, an, an example, um, should giving people money. So giving people money has two elements. It's the fact you're giving them money, but you're only giving them so much money. Okay, why would you only want to give them so much money? What happens if you give someone too much money? You don't have any money. Let's pretend that's not your issue. Then they won't want to give it for themselves. Really? Well, again, it's not specific. Like, it depends on... Yep, think about... Too what, much mean. That's what I want to do. What does too much mean? At what point is it... What, what determines too much? Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? Like, like you're already saying what the problem is, but... Where, where, where is giving, where, where is that, what is that parameter being set by? You mean too much money that, that it's more money than they need so that they have extra spending money? Too much money that it's going to enable them to make bad, like what exact, what issue are you dealing with in which giving money up to a point is acceptable and beyond that point is unacceptable? And could there be more than one way of viewing that? Yes. And would having a really fully functional, having a sense of how they all fit together? 
Like a relationship doesn't have just one kind of boundaries. There's physical boundaries. There's boundaries of, of speech. There's boundaries of, 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 of agreement and disagreement. Here's an interesting one. Are you allowed to disagree vocally with your parents according to Jewish law? No. Why not? It's a test to see if you understand the relationship, the nature of that relationship. It's a respect thing. You're not equals. You're not equals. And therefore, if you're not equals, you're not able to... Agree or disagree. Agree or disagree. Yes. According to halacha, you're not allowed to vocally agree with your parents either. Unless they show interest in your opinion. The idea being is you're not equals. And so the relationship is that they're... they're that how far should your opinion extend in relation to their parents? Not into their presence on a topic they've already voiced their opinion about. It's not an issue of disagreement. It's an issue of having an opinion at all. That's a very, like, you know, it's a different kind of a thing. We do this with normal people also, like, where regular relationships, like, four people will be having an argument and someone says something and then the other person says... You're right, but, and it's like, sorry, I wasn't asking if I'm right. Like, the other person asserts themselves. Right. Like, the arbiter of what is correct or not. Right. It's like fundamental. So, so there's men. Now, if you really want this whole thing to work, you need to have clear all of the... All the issues, how far they extend, what are the boundaries, appropriate and inappropriate, and that's how it works. By the way, when we're trying to figure this out about the physical world, what is that discipline called? The physical world, right, has all sorts of different things, and more specifically, nature. physics. We're trying to understand that about animals, how different animals, you know, how they extend in the world in terms of how they influence each other, habitats and things like that. What do we call that? Biology, yeah. ecology. Right? So, in other words, you, right, we're trying to do that in terms of how corporations work. We call that? Business. There's... You know, combination of behavioral economics, social psychology, and just regular hardcore economics, right? Sociology, right? In other words, but if you think about all these things you're doing, is figuring out what is at play, how far does it extend, and what are its limits, and what's on the other side of that boundary. And if all of that it can be clear, then you know the world is a very functional, navigable place, and reality is very coherent and nice and wonderful. And when that doesn't work, you have gaps where things are we don't know what's going on, or we have clashes where two things overlap that really don't work together. Yeah. So are interactions always met at a... Never mind, I can't. You said the most important word, interactions. Right. What are these seven doublets building? Mm -hmm. What are they building? Interactions. So a boundary is an interaction. A boundary is what makes interaction a reality. Uh, Where one thing extends with a boundary, then there will be something else. Okay. If you're going to ha- interact with anything else, there has to be clear what are your extensions, what are its extensions, where do you end, where does it end, how do those fit together? Have you ever tried reaching for a cup of coffee and you thought the cup of coffee was a little bit cl- uh, further away than it really was and your hand just smashed into it? <laughs> Did that ever happen to you? Put the cup of coffee here and you reach for it, thinking it's, thinking it's actually here, but it's, thinking, it's, thinking it's here, but it's really here, and so you extend your hand into the cup? Or you're, or you're going down steps and yes. you think oh, there's yeah. one more step but there isn't. That's or you thought there isn't one more step and there was. Yeah. It's the same <laughs> issue. Right? So you're seeing like the same dynamic exists where you're talking about like physically moving around the world, understanding how the world works using science, navigating a relationship. If you are trying to interact with something outside of yourself, what needs to be made clear within yourself? 
in order to really interact, how far how things extend and where they end. And that's what makes interaction, interacting with others a reality. In other words, what are these seven all about interacting with other things? When you're, clumsiness is an indication of something deeper. Not necessarily. Oh. Yeah. Does saying there is no boundary count as setting a boundary? Is that ever possible? That's, if you, there's no boundary, then there's no interaction. That's the rule. Well, that's exactly the point. We're talking about spheres, right? And so seven, what do these seven spheres do? They set the boundaries between, right? How far does God extend? One second, one second, one second. One thing at a time. What do these seven do? These are seven ways in which God manifests up to this point and no further so that the world can exist in this way and not that way. In other words, these are the seven ways in which God sets the boundaries of his relationship with reality, and that's what makes reality be the way it is. These seven ways are the ways God sets the boundaries of his relationship with reality, and that's what makes the reality be the way it is. If God has no boundaries, then... God doesn't interact with anything. Okay? Have you ever heard the idea that um, God is unlimited? What's bad about that idea? No, that's like wordplay. Just a very basic thing. Is unlimited a good thing? Some things. Well, it depends what you care about. If you care about interacting with something, then what do you want it to have? Because where is the point of interaction? At the limits. Right? Where do you pick something up? At its yeah. edges, right? What about like unlimited free coffee? You could still interact with that. <laughs> well, first off, it is limited. It does have limits. It does have limits. It, what unlimited free coffee is, is a nice way of saying, you can have as much coffee as you like because you can only want a limited amount of coffee and it's in our financial interest to offer you a limited amount of coffee that's without setting the limit lower than your desire. No one actually offers you an unlimited anything. Yeah. It's not really unlimited. It's not really unlimited. Uh, here's the thing, yeah? The, the, here's the thing. If enough people start using their unlimited data plans beyond what the company projects is actually going to be the use, watch how the company will get rid of those plans. So they're not really unlimited. Right. They aren't unlimited. What they are is the limit is beyond what we think you're going to want. And so you might, for, as far as you're concerned, it's okay. Right. That just, it, does, it sounds very negative. Well, if you really want to interact with something, if you want a relationship with the person, you want to, you want to even sit down, right? There has to be, the, 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 the chair has to have a physical integrity and then have an edge and then your body has an edge and then your body can sit on the chair and it works nicely. Yeah. If you're going to talk, like... One person has to speak and the other person has to listen. So all interactions are about things extending and bounding themselves, extending and bounding themselves in such a way that it all hopefully fits together nicely like a well-designed puzzle and not a total mess of empty spaces and overlapping nonsense. Yeah. In, in the, coming back to the coffee thing, like, isn't we... Yes, there is a limit, but we don't experience it, or at least it seems to me like we don't experience that limit when we interact with it. We only experience the extension part, or like a person who is infinitely 
seems to be infinitely kind to us. Like maybe yeah, they, they, I'm sure they have a breaking point, but like with me, that person may only seem. Well, to because be you're thinking of a particular kind of limit, which is the inability to go forward. An like, like you said, breaking point. They're infinitely kind. They infinitely, like they're infinitely kind. You don't want someone who's infinitely kind. What would be an example of someone who's infinitely kind? God. No. God's not infinitely kind. Infinitely kind infinitely kind would mean that there's no limits on their kindness. Yeah. So who are they kind to? Everyone. So, but so right? So they're kind to they're kind to all people in all circumstances. Now, here's the thing. We tend to apply moral judgments to concepts because of how they usually feature in life. But kindness, the attribute of kindness that human beings experience is a desire to assist and share. So when a two-year-old wants the scissors to run with it, the kind part of the person, not the moral part, the kind part of the person wants to give them the scissors. Give them the scissors. Okay. okay. This is why King Solomon said in all of his wisdom, he who spares the rod hates his son. He doesn't say spoil, hates. What is the rod? Limits. The discipline. And if you don't say no, if you don't say this is out of bounds, then what does that mean? Do you have any regard for the welfare of someone else? Yeah. So the thing is, you have to be careful how of understanding what, what we mean. It doesn't just mean, it, the fact that you could do more, there's you could do more. God is, God is certainly unlimited in his capacity. That's not the issue, right? A lot of us have breaking, like, I can't do more. That's not the issue. We're talking about other kinds. We're talking about limits that are constructive. I could do more and I won't because it's not constructive, right? So in your coffee example, right, the business is interested in interacting with you in a certain way, and therefore they say, we are going to, we, right, the limits of this are not going to include the amount of coffee you drink, but will include other things, such as what kind of coffee you can drink, right? Do they give you unlimited, like, really fancy coffees with all of the, like, whipped cream stuff on top? I've never had unlimited, I don't drink. Most places where they have unlimited coffee is basically just black coffee, which costs almost nothing. Unlimited drip coffee, which costs almost nothing. But getting you in the store is extremely valuable to them. And so it's quite limited in developing a certain kind of customer interaction. And it will not work outside those bounds. Same thing with all... All things that see, there's no, there's no such thing as, as an unlimited interaction. If the limits are set right, the interaction is constructive. If the limits are set wrong, such as there's gaps or there's overlap where there shouldn't be, then you have conflict. So if God wants to interact with his world that he's going to make, he needs faculties which are about extending with limits. Doubles. Extension with limits. Yes, no, yes. How, how does this work with the mothers? The mothers. If they don't have this, this. So then what can we conclude? Are mothers about interacting? No, but like if they don't have, they're not limited at all. The mothers are not about interacting and therefore they don't need these limits. Yeah. Uh, the mothers are. I understand. Un- In other words, what? <laughs> I just don't understand that. Point. Well, because an interaction involves how many things? Three. Well, an interaction involves 
two things and then a third concept, which is the parameters of the interaction, which is what you're getting at, right? And it's because of that parameters of interaction, you just set the limits, right? What are the boundaries of relationship? What are the rules of physics? You know, what kinds of business plans work and don't work for sustainable business, blah, 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 blah. What if you're not interested in interacting with something else? What if it's all self-contained? Then what? Have you ever heard this idea that there's no limits on imagination? Mm-hmm. Why is that good and why is that bad? Actually, start. Why is that? Why are there no limits on imagination? So assuming the statement is true for right now, why would that be true? Because it's completely self-contained. Okay. So what's great about that is in imagination you get to explore what? Anything. Not really. You're exploring. Not. You're only exploring one thing. Yeah. Yourself. All those other things are just proxies to really. When you're imagining, you're just exploring yourself. You're using the repertoire of experiences you've had and playing around with them in order to experience yourself in new ways. But you're just experiencing one thing, which is yourself. If you want to now interact with the world, how successful is imagination? Not. Not. You need to shift. I'm not saying that the four mothers are, the three mothers are imagination. Something that is entirely self-contained doesn't need this dynamic of extension and limits. There's, in other words, there's, there's, there's something which is not about interacting with another person or another being or another entity. Even though it's birthing and nursing. It does, it, it does, Isn't right. Is that an interaction? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. That's a good question. The simple answer to this is that we always want to differentiate between um, essential or fundamental aspects of something and secondary aspects of something. For instance, um, what are essential features of the cup? that it can be held, that, it's, that it contains liquid, right? It's rough size and shape, right? Because if it was of a different size or shape, it wouldn't be good for drinking coffee, right? But are there other aspects of the cup which might be true but are really incidental? Like color. Stripes. Like color. Now, it does have some effects, right? So when you want to get to the three mothers and really what they, what they are, it's, they're really not about interacting with something, but it happens to be that if they're done right, it gives birth and nourishes something else as a byproduct. So there's this kind of a... What? Like by essence. By essence, not about that. At all. But, but as a... What? They're mother functions. Well, so I always find this is funny that women keep asking this question every time I ever teach this idea. <laughs> if someone were to tell you that you're just basically there for breeding and nursing, how would you feel? Not about awesome. how I feel about how people talk about women, but sure. Like, do, right. do, does that like, do that like, yeah, oh, yes, yes, that's exactly right. Or, or is that just, I mean, it happens to be true about you, but like your whole self-worth as, as your existence is reduced to that? No, but, no, but nobody calls me a mother. Okay, so the thing is right. But would you say like this, fundamentally you're a person, you have a life. Yes. Yes. Okay. An aspect of you, which is that you can have children. Yes. It may be an important aspect. But you can't be reduced to that aspect? Yes. Okay. But we're calling these things but mothers. That's right. When someone children calls my mom... That's true, which is why children, little children, don't have, really have real relationships with their parents. Right. Because right. they don't see them as people. When I call somebody Karen's mom, that's because the only reason I care that she exists is because she gave birth to and nurtured Karen. So that's true. So you might care about something. This is true. You might care about something not for what it truly is which now means you have an interesting dilemma here. Mm-hmm. So if you call someone Karen's mom, because you only care about the fact that she's Karen's mom, yeah. but 
in as much as she's Karen's mom, you're not going to be able to have a healthy relationship with her if the only interest you actually have in her is that she's Karen's mom. So in order to actually care about Karen's mom in a way that's going to help your relationship with Karen, you're going to actually have to stop seeing her as just Karen's mom. Right. No, this is, but this saying, is so we're calling so, things mothers. So the, so I'm going to They're not fundamentally about being mothers. That's that's right. So we are just. In other words, our, in other words, in other words, like this. What is the relationship between the first three and the set and the second seven? The, the second set of seven is all about God's interaction with reality. <laughs> that's why it's building. That's why it's doubles. It's all about God's interacting with reality. However. In order to get this level of interacting with reality, that depends on this prior set of three. So in as much as I care about my interactions with God, which, which spheres do I actually primarily care about? The mothers. The multiples. The multiples, because they're about the ones that are all about God's interacting. But are they not the be-all and end-all of the multiples? No. I care about the interaction, the ones that are involved in the interaction. However, we'll get to that later, not today. However, can I, are we going to have those other ones without the mothers? No. So what is my interest in the mothers is that they're mothers. But are they, I mean the mothers themselves really see themselves that way? They're not really about interacting. They happen to give rise and nourish the things that are interacting, but that's not really what they're about. Which means now we have like this very, frankly, sophisticated way of relating to something. I don't know what these things are, but I have this one set of things which is all about God interacting with others with me, with you, with the world. And that means that God has to, how far he extends, what are his limits, what are his boundaries, how dynamic are they, how rigid are they, blah, 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 blah. And that all comes from some other thing. And the reason I care about that other thing is because his relationship with me comes from that. But that other thing isn't really about my relationship with him because it really was about my relationship. It would also be part about, would also be part of the building. So what is it? Yeah, I'm confused. Okay. So what this means is, what this, what this means is, that you have to develop a way of realizing that there's, there's, there's looking at something for how it's, it influences something else versus for what it's, it truly is. Are these mothers just the means to get to the next step? No. No. They have their own essence, their own identity, their, their own thing. What is a byproduct of them? Why do I care about the mothers? Because it's like Karen's mom. mom situation. Yeah, because it's Karen's mom. It's Karen's mom. But if I really, <laughs> but you, but you see that there's a built-in tension with the Karen's mom situation, which is that if I only care about Karen's mom because she's Karen's mom, that kind of inhibits how much I actually care about Karen's mom. But I, but, right, but I don't. Really but but here's the thing. No, but, I mean, but here's I the thing. With Karen. That's the only reason. But that means you're a child. More. That means you're a child. Yeah, but I'm not. I don't have a problem with being a child relative to God and His sephiros. Okay, that's fine. So then, just is that's that fine. Why we call them mothers is because we're like we just don't get what they are, and they're just as far as we're concerned, they're mothers of the things we interact with. As long as you're will, as long as long as you're willing to have a childlike relationship with God, go for that. <laughs> just remember, childlike relationships have a bunch of other stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think we what spoke about how most people aren't, like, most people do have childlike relationships with God. Which means they might not have such an interest in what's going on in those what higher... The other stuff? What? You said, said childlike relationships have other stuff? Well, generally dialogue and exchanging perspectives is not part of childlike relationships, is it? But I have this implicit love There is, yeah. I'm not, I'm not judging, I'm just saying, like, you're absolutely right. Chassidah speaks about this. Yeah. A hundred percent. But... 
God's relationship with the world through the spheres is actually two things. His relationship with the world is not, is not through the spheres. It's only through which spheres? Which spheres are actually part of his interacting with the world? The seven. There's a whole other side of God's manifestation which really has nothing to do with his interactions with you. It just gives rise to those interactions with you. Why are they called their mothers if only from our perspective? Because maybe Tanya, he wants to emphasize, because maybe this chapter, even though it's going to spend a lot of time talking about the correspondence of the three mothers, our primary interest is actually. Because remember, this is all about how to develop your relationship with God. So which ones are more of interest to us? The seven seven doubles. Why do we do Chabad then? Because if you want children, you better make sure you have Someone to give birth to the child and nourish the child. Otherwise, what happens to your child? It doesn't exist. Not good. Either it never exists or it dies, unfortunately, right? So this is very key. Chabad is not about Chabad. Chabad is actually about the other stuff. Okay. (laughs) In other words, like this. God has these spheros and those, he has these seven spheros and all about his relationship. And that's the ones that we primarily care about. At least as far as this book is concerned. Because we care about our relationship with him. It happens to be those spheros only exist and are nourished by three other spheros. Now, are those three other spheros just the birthers and nourishers of those lower spheros? Is that all they are? Is that what they're... No, that's not what they are. They have their own transcendent thing, nothing to do with God's relationship with us. It just happens to be they also do that. So there's relating to something for its intrinsic worth and there's relating to something because... It get, provides you a benefit, right? In this case, why do we care about the upper three spheres, the Chabad spheres, the Chachma, Bin, and Das spheres? Because we actually care about them themselves? No. Because they give rise and nourish. Yeah. And by the way, this is going to be the same setup for our faculties. That's why he's describing the spheres in this way. Which spheres are we of primarily interest to in Tanya? Chachma, Bin, and Das, or the lower seven? When did we start calling them lower? Because they're just in the hierarchy. If you start at the top and work down, then you call them lower. That's yeah, but why, why, why do mothers start at the top? Well, the, the, when Chassidus when use the term higher and lower, higher tends to be more internalized to the self, and lower means externalized towards others. That's just the way it's oriented. So when I'm re- interacting with you, that is lower than something that is just self-contained within me. It's not a value judgment. It's how much it relates towards self versus how much it's outwards towards others. Or towards God? Like, I mean, so the same thing, right? If, it's, if God is God's relationship to me is going lower and God, so to speak, being within himself is going higher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess two questions. The first one is, so why wouldn't we place more of an emphasis on the three mothers if, because you keep saying how the seven multiples are Hashem's boundaries and Hashem's interactions with reality, but by the nature of them coming from the three upper ones, Hashem would also have to have a close interaction with those three in order to have the seven come out of That's right. them. So why do we not place as much emphasis on them? If, in a way, wouldn't they have to be closer, in a sense, to Hashem? They are closer to Hashem. This creates a very important tension in Chassidus. Okay? I'll, I'll, I will... There was a... There, the, the sixth Chabad Rebbe, bottom right, said that the Alt Rebbe wanted people to serve God. He 
They wanted service of God in the heart. The Mitler, his son, wanted service of God in the mind. If you want to know what service of God in the heart is, you should learn Tanya. Okay, Tanya is all about how to, how to make Judaism or connection with Hashem something that we can actually connect to emotionally. Which means the interest of the Chachma Bina Das here is not for their own sake, for what they really are, but merely how they serve to give birth and nurture the emotions. We are not actually genuinely interested in Tanya in what your Chachma Bina Das really do or what Hashem's upper three spheres really do. We're only interested in this secondary aspect of them that they give rise to and nourish. And it's, really and it's very limited. And there's a whole nother avenue of chassidus where it's chabad for chabad's sake. It's, and at that point, you don't call them mothers anymore, by the way. Because at that point, you don't care about them as mothers. You care about them. right? You stop calling them Karen's mom and you start calling her Jill. <laughs> What's the name? What? What did he call I'm getting Kabbalistic terminology if you really, if you really want. Um, there's a distinction made between uh, the upper father and mother and lower father and mother, what's sometimes called father and mother versus Yisrael Saba and Tavuna. Um, there's different, um, the, the, the parts of Elyon of Chuv versus the parts of Tachton of Chuv. There's different terminologies for this idea. The, but, um, yeah, there's an idea. The, in, in how, many na- just, how many nations land? Hashem promised a certain amount of land to Avraham. How many nations did he promise? Anyone know? Seven. No, ten. When the Jewish people left Egypt, how many nations were they promised that they were going to get? Seven. Do you know Why? because the seven correspond to the seven about interacting, and then the other three correspond to this higher level. And when Mashiach comes, we get the higher three. So there is this whole other idea of the higher three spheres and what they really are all about. Is that really relevant in Tanya? No, in Tanya, this is exactly the point that the Altair is alluding to by calling them mothers. I'm not actually telling you about the higher three spheres per se. I'm simply telling you that they have what kind of relationship with the lower seven. You want to know what they themselves are? They're their own thing. Our interest in Tanya is how they influence the seven because Tanya is about how you interact with Hashem and Hashem interacts with you. And interaction is through the lower seven because lower seven are about how far and to what extent, which is how interactions work. Is that the essence of the multiples? Like the same way? Right. The essence of the multiples is there, is there in that that are all about interaction. That's They're all about relating to outside yourself. They're all about interacting with something else and therefore it's all about extension and limit what are the appropriate boundaries of what aspects of this interaction and relationship these other three they're not about that they give rise to that but that's not really their essence okay and if you can make and and now that distinction is then going to be the model for now understanding our own godly faculties we have three faculties which are not really about your interacting with god they're actually about something else. But they give rise and nourish the faculties which are about your interacting with God. And that's what he's going to spell out and elucidate in the rest of the chapter. And that actually becomes a very challenging thing because what if you make your whole focus all about interacting with God? Which faculties are you ignoring? The top three. The top three. And if you don't have the top three, do you ever have the bottom seven? No. 
which is kind of weird. I care about interaction. This is one of the points I was making about Karen's mom. I care about Karen's mom only because she's Karen's mom, but that actually inhibits me from actually caring about Karen, because Karen cares about her mom, and I need to start. So you have this, this, a certain kind of attention that he's going to address in the chapter, which is if you really want the faculties that are interactive and relationship, you have to be working also with the faculties that are not about that at all. Which is kind of like one of these things, like you have to let go of what you want to get what you want, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's going to explain briefly in the next paragraph and then elaborate at for Tanya length in the rest of the chapter. Why does that have to be a, a point of tension? Why can't it just be like... Tension is any time you have things that pull in different directions, you have to figure out how to make them work together. Tension doesn't mean irreconcilable conflict. By the way, tension is good. If there's no tension, then that means things are just dying. Right? Energy is in, like think about a spring, right? Because there's tension in a spring, then you can have energy, you can do stuff with it. Okay, so Chassidus is all about, Chassidus Chabad especially, is all about finding the tension and harnessing it rather than getting rid of the tension or ignoring the tension. I have a friend of mine who is a psychologist, and he said that one of his professors when he was studying psychology, they had a class about stress. And he says, what is the most stress-free state? That was the question he threw out to the class. Death. That's right. Now the question is, is the stress the right kind of stress and being channeled in the right kind of way? So yeah, there is a thing. If you care about these interactive faculties, about connecting with boundaries, right? That's the doubles. Well, they come from these other faculties. They're not really about that. So even though I only, I only care about them because they produce these more interactive faculties, but if I'm gonna ha- I still need to get back to the source... And so how do I manage the fact that I want one thing, but I, to get the thing I want, I have to go to something else which is very different than the thing that I want. And, and this is why so many people, just the whole relationship with God flounders. Because they either pick one extreme or the other extreme. They get so wrapped up in the interactive ones that they don't realize what is actually necessary to give rise and nourish them. Or conversely, they get caught up with the mothers, but not as mothers, but it's their own thing, and then what happens? They never develop the, the, the faculties that actually involve the relationship. It's how do, you, how do you make those two work together in the right way? And if you don't have any sense of that, then your whole relationship with God is very haphazard, which is why sometimes you feel inspired, and sometimes you don't, and sometimes you feel like you really believe, and sometimes you don't, and you have no idea like, what to do about it. That's where he's going with this. He's saying the model for that starts off with a sphere. So even though I don't know what the three upper spheres are and the lower seven spheres, I know one thing. The lower seven are about building God's relationships, interacting. That's why they're called building. That's why they have this element of doubles that he is emphasizing. And they don't, they're, not, they're not self-sufficient. They're, you, they're, they, come, they're, they, they come into existence from and are nourished by these other three, which are not about that. And that same tension is now going to exist in our godly faculties. We're going to have to learn how to navigate it. Good? Tomorrow we'll stop talking about God. Because he gives us the and what are we going to talk about? Ourselves. Ourselves. At least our godly selves. So no more spheros. Tomorrow we're going to start with similarly. We didn't play the game. What? I promised the game within two weeks. Yeah. I know, we finished a whole paragraph of time. <laughs> the first time we've ever done that.